I was told this morning, my first two words ought to be, don't sleep. Or others have suggested I just preach louder, just in case the uh, uh, new padding in the pew might be a detriment to your ability to keep in touch with what we're going to do today. I don't think we'll have too much trouble with the theme, because I ask you to go back in your mind and remember the day you came to know Christ as your Savior. Remember that day? For me, it was uh, 38 years ago this month that I came to know Christ as my Savior. And July's always been kind of a special time for me. Uh, we talk about uh, Independence Day and such like that. And I was saved in 1976, which has always been a nice, wonderful ring to it anyway because of the bicentennial. And that was the year I came to know Christ and, and new freedom in my soul too. For whoever the Lord sets free is free indeed, right? You remember that day? We're going to talk about it. A little bit this morning, we're going to talk about grace. So let's ask the Lord's help as we get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning so thankful for who you are. May our souls do what the choir has sung for us. And we bless you today with all of our soul. We're going to look into your word and see once again the great things that you have done for us. And Lord, it's overwhelming. And I pray that we are overwhelmed by it. And we see once again what you have done. And may our souls well up with praise. And perhaps, Lord, as we talk about the very thing that you have done today by your grace, if, if there might be one, even just one among us who needs to know Christ as Savior, Draw them to yourself. That's a job that only you can do. We will share your word, Lord, and we will spend time in it. But you do the work and draw them to yourself that we might have another cause to praise you today. Thank you, Lord, for your work in our midst. Thank you for the work in our life and in our hearts. We submit to you today in your work as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The song starts, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That's our subject today. How do you respond to such words like grace? Do you use the word amazing? Do you say, how sweet the sound. We're going to talk about the grace of God. Ephesians 1. Verse number 6 is where we're going to start. And I realize even as I begin today that it's a subject far, far beyond my ability to communicate uh, the depth of it. If I wanted to speak on God's love, I'm very limited in my ability to communicate that which is so great. If I speak of His mercy... It's again a fathom that I cannot reach, but I love to talk about. And so when we talk about God's grace, how often have we become, or perhaps we, I hope we haven't, but have we become desensitized to the word because we use it so often? That we say grace, you know. We, we, we talk about grace as if it's a common thing, and not an amazing thing. 
We're going to talk about it being amazing. And all its amazingness. I don't know if that's a word, but there it is. The amazingness of God's grace. You know, it's a, it's a key part of God's magnificent investment in you. You need to know it. And know what He has done for you. And, and you may say, but this is something I've heard before. And it bears repeating. God's grace is magnificent. And it's what He has invested in each of us today. And, and I could say that, uh, as simple as this may sound, without His grace, we would not even exist. We know the words that says, uh, by grace are you saved. That's Ephesians 2. Just turn the page, probably, maybe it's on the same page in your Bible. Ephesians 2, verse number 8. I want to ask you if you're aware of the fact that it's just by His grace that you do exist in the first place. Ephesians 2, 8. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. If I gave you the Greek rendering of that verse, and I know I've done this before, but it says, for by grace you are, having been saved by faith. By grace you are, you are existing, you are being, by grace, having been saved by faith. Now, that would make grace sound quite significant in our lives, wouldn't it? If that's what causes us even to exist, I would say indispensable. We can use all kinds of words for it, but that is the gift God has given to you, this grace. And that's our beautiful focus here this morning. Uh, first chapter of Ephesians, verse 6, right in the middle of the phrase, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Now, this, this phrase, He freely bestowed on us. Freely bestowed. This is the second verb in this long sentence. Uh, last week I had it all displayed for you on this uh, screen behind me. And I showed you, there's only a handful of verbs, actually, in this sentence that spans from verse 3 in the Greek all the way through verse 14. That's a long connection and, and linking of words, and yet there's only a handful of verbs, and this is the second one we've encountered so far. We started all the way up at the beginning, and here we are, second time. Now, it's very much like the first verb we first we encountered in verse number 4, when it says, He chose us. That's the first thing it mentioned, as far as the actions of God. And in that sense, it was a singular act. He chose us. A singular act. A, an intentional act. I love that part of it. He, did, he chose you on purpose. Do you know that? It was an intentional thing. We read in verse number 4 that He chose you before the foundation of the world, before the world was even created. He chose you. Uh, he had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose to the view that you should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose you for that purpose. And He accomplished that in part by the predestination we talked about in verse number 5. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons. That is a display of His great love for you. That He should call you His own child. And it's accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. We saw these things. It's according to the kind intention of His will 
We saw that too. And we saw as it spilled into verse number 6, and all that to the praise of the glory of His grace. That's where we left off last week, and, and now we come into this next phrase, already with a mouthful of information from the first couple of verses. But these are things we need to know. We need to know something we must know. We're, we are in His service, aren't we? We are in His service, and it's essential that we are aware of His love as we serve Him. I hope you realize this, because this is our topic. God's investment in you, so that you may have all that you need to serve Him. We live in a world that uh, considers people replaceable. In a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm mindful of that as a pastor as well, in the sense that uh, there have been many pastors before me. This church has seen quite a number of pastors before me. And I'm also aware if the Lord should tarry, I may not be the last pastor. I can't live forever down here. I mean, even if I'd stayed 50 years, uh, you still need somebody on the 51st year, wouldn't you? The Lord does raise up servants, doesn't he? He raises them up, and we've seen that. But we've seen that in the world all around us. In baseball, for example. I, I love the sport, and I think about it here and there. But uh, a player's usefulness is sometimes questioned when somebody more useful comes along. They say, well, this guy plays better. He's got a better batting average. He can hit it farther. He's not quite as old. And before you know it, they're replaced. True in sports, true in employment, all kinds of other things. Is that all that we are in service to our Lord? Chose us until somebody else comes along who can do it better, who can be, you know, younger, can serve that way. If you consider the love of Christ that we are reading here, there is no believer expendable. None. And I know that for a fact. Because the price tag for every single believer is the same, isn't it? It's the death of Jesus Christ and His blood spilt for us. The Holy Spirit indwells how many believers? All believers. Does that sound like any of us are, are expendable? No. I would also add that each of us, each of you, are so deeply loved by God. And that's what we've been focusing on here. He chose you. He doesn't unchoose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And the last part of that phrase is that you may be before him holy and blameless. He covered both ends of the spectrum right there, didn't he? Chose you before the foundation of the world, and then you're going to stand before him holy and blameless. Does it sound like he's going to unchoose you in the middle? Not at all. It's a beautiful section to see. So, as we travel into the second phrase, understand that we're still following after the actions of a God who is consistent in what He does and how He does it. This verb matches perfectly in all its, its character as to the way it's done, but the way it sounds is kind of funny. I know we have a variety of translations for verse number 6, but this is the phrase, 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graced you. All right, that sounds a little unusual, doesn't it? Graced you, what's that? Well, you may have like in the King James or New King James, which he made us acceptable in the beloved. You may have in the NIV, he freely given to us in the one he loved. So that English Standard Version, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's a variety of ways that they've chosen to translate this same little Greek word. We have here in the New American Standard Version, uh, where he has freely bestowed on us. Now, all of that is the same word. It's the word for grace in a verb form. You know, grace, mostly we read it in Scripture as a noun, don't we? For by grace are you saved. And all these times we encounter the word grace, more times than not we see it as a noun. This is actually the verb. Same word. It's a verbal form of it. Verse 6 is fascinating because it exists both as a noun and a verb in the same verse. You see it right there in verse 6? To the praise of the glory of his what? Grace. That's the noun. Which he graced upon us. There's the second time, now it's the verb. It's kind of fascinating how those words just kind of pop out like that. So we've tried over the years to define it. Our translations show us those different uh, ways of, of defining it. Acceptable, uh, highly favored, um, all kinds of different ways we've done it. Some people say, well, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's taking G-R-A-C-E and spelling it out. And that's beautiful. God's riches at Christ's expense. Some people say grace is, uh, um, in contrast to mercy, mercy is not getting what I deserve, and grace is getting what I don't deserve. I had a teacher at Bible college that taught us, grace is God's help when you need it. Now, how often do you need his help? I thought, what a good phrase for that. Some call it undeserved favor unmerited favor. We know all of these things are true, and we kind of weave them all together in one little verb today. And here's the fact of this grace. When we read it now, in which he has, I'm going to use the word in a New American Standard, in which he freely bestowed on us. Now, that understand this. This is an action already completed. Alright? Just like the last verse, verb in uh, the fact that he chose it. This is already completed. You're not waiting to be accepted. You're not waiting to be recipients of this. We're not waiting to be blessed. We already have the blessings, don't we? Remember verse 3? He's already granted all these things to us. Some people come up with the idea, well, grace, don't we, we need some element in there where, you know, he's going to give us grace. He's, we're asking for his grace. As if we're waiting for something. Or maybe as if he's waiting for something. Maybe God wants me to clean up a little bit first before he finds me acceptable. This is already done, folks. That's the beauty of this word, grace. It's already done. It's called a Free gift, right? We're not waiting for it to show up by UPS or something. It's already here. We already have it. 
It's a free gift already. You have already been graced by God. That's their verb. Right? You got the feel of that already? This is important because as we work through the text, it says that we have already received this in the Beloved One. Now, who's that? That's Jesus Christ. Now, wasn't his work complete? Wasn't it sufficient? It's not based on you or me. It's based on him. So, we can't possibly be trying to earn this thing or cleaning ourselves up enough that God might look upon us and say, hey, I think I'll give him a little grace today. It's already freely bestowed in the Beloved. It's in Christ. And that's an important word. A very important set of words for us. And very consistent to our context. Because we have nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. Christ has brought that all about. Now, God's grace, as we can see also in verse number 6, is due to Him. It's due to Him. It's not by our merit. It's not by our abilities. It's not in any way that we've impressed God that He should grant us grace. We didn't manipulate him in some fashion that he might give us grace. And here's something very important with the definition of grace. No matter how you define it, make this one note in your mind. Whenever anything is added to it, it no longer is grace. You mix any other ingredient in it and grace no longer exists. I'll show you a verse. Romans 11, verse 6. Right in the middle of a a fascinating passage, this is what Paul writes. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. It's no longer grace. You mix anything with it. Now, I want to show you today how amazing it is. With that foundation set before us, it says that it's been freely bestowed on us. Freely bestowed on us. God's grace. Statistics. Some people like statistics. In the New Testament, 122 times the word grace appears. Noun, verb, whatever form. 122 times. Not once in the book of Matthew. Not once in the book of Mark. Not once in the book of 1 John or 3 John. Matter of fact, Jesus never used the word. Isn't that remarkable? You don't find it in any of his dialogues. 122 times. In the Old Testament, nine times. You want to guess which book carries it the most? Most people say, how about Psalms or something like that? Zechariah carries it more than any other. And you say, oh, that's different. When's the last time you read Zechariah? More times mentioned grace in Zechariah than any other book. Now, you take 122 times and also the nine extra times, you got 131 times grace is mentioned in all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, how many times do you think he used it out of that 131 times? A lot, yep. Uh, 83 of those references are in Paul's writing. 63% of the use of the word is in Paul's writing. The book of Romans has the most references. 21 different times he uses grace. Guess which book is second? Give you a clue. We're studying it. Does that help? The book of Ephesians. 
and here's the, the picture of this. If I don't know if statistics means anything to you or not, but uh, one-tenth of all the usage of the word grace is found in the book of Ephesians. One-tenth. And I think that's kind of an appropriate number because that's about how much we understand of grace. It's about one-tenth of all that there must be. We just got a, a, a small understanding of how great this thing must be. So, today, since there are only really 12 verses in all of Ephesians that deals with grace, I'm going to use a good portion of those and stay right here in the book, alright? But you've got to turn pages with me. I want to show you what Paul has to teach us about grace and why it is so amazing. We know it's freely bestowed on us. We see it in our verse, verse number 6. And one translator, or one commentary said, uh, to be freely bestowed is the, the concept of pursued with grace, compassed with favor, honored with blessing. I thought, well, that's kind of a neat picture. It's very active in it. The pursuit with grace, the compassed with favor to honor with blessing. But always understand this. Grace has to have a source. It has to have a source. That's the first thing we're going to notice with our handful of verses. For it to be a gift, it has to have a what? A giver, right? For it to exist, it must have a source. And we're going to look at this. Start chapter number 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace. Notice the next phrase. From. Now we find the source. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a source right there, right? Mark that in your thinking, or maybe you'll write it right down. There's our source. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 6, we're looking at it, but let's look at it again just for a second. To the praise of the glory of whose grace? His grace. Who does it belong to? Belongs to Him. Alright? Very simple. Which He freely bestowed. There again is a picture of the source, right? He bestowed it. Freely given by Him. Verse number 7, just jump down a little further. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You see the word his? Small word, but it's important. It tells you again who owns it. In verse number 7 of chapter 2, 2 verse 7. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. You see it again? His grace. You see it so often in Scripture. When grace is defined, it always has God's name next to it. You won't find it far away. And here it's again. His grace. Also in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. There's that again. Our source. A gift of God. Now just over to chapter 3. Just two more verses to look at for a moment. Chapter 3, verse 2. Just in the middle of a phrase, I know, but it says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, he identifies grace as belonging to God, right? He does it again in verse number 7 of chapter 3, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. God's gift. God's grace. If you need grace, I know the source. 
It's God. God is the giver, right? We mark that in our mind. We've got to know that. God is the giver of grace. Now, the second thing that goes with it is very logical. For it to be grace, it has to be given. You know, that's part of the definition of the word. You can't take that part out. He can't just have some box up there full of grace. It's something that must be dispensed in order to call it what it is. It is a gift, right? It has to be dispensed. It has to be bestowed, as the New American Standard uses here. That's what grace is. It's something that is bestowed. Back to our same verses. Now let's look at them one more time. In Ephesians 1 verse 2, Grace to you! Grace to you! There's that action again, isn't it? Grace doesn't just sit there. It's in motion. It's, it's got to be given. Verse 6, we're going to see. Which he freely bestowed. This is his grace. He freely bestowed it. It's part of that action. Verse number 8 of chapter 2. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, right? The gift of God. That, boy, that makes it so easy to understand it now. God's grace is a gift. It's a gift. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 2. When Paul had just mentioned God's grace, he also adds, which was given to me. Given to me. Verse 7 of chapter 3. God's grace. The gift of God's grace which was given to me. You could underline that phrase. The gift of God's grace which was given to me. And that is salvation. That is our, our, our identification. What is it all about? It is God's grace given to me. God's grace given to me. Verse number 8 of chapter 3. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. You see it again? Given. Chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, all of these are things that God has given, right? God has given, God has given, God has given, God has given. I want to show you one verse that's really quite profound. It's in chapter 4, verse 29, where he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Isn't that neat? In other words, we're dispensing what God has given to us, right? We're dispensing it to others. Chapter 6, one more time, it says at the end of verse number, actually the end of the chapter, verse 24, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Grace is given. That's necessary for our understanding of grace. It must be given. Now, aren't you thankful that we have such a God who gives grace? That's the beauty of the, of the picture of grace is that he is freely bestowing it on us. He doesn't hoard it and keep it to himself. He gives it. He gives it. What a very generous God we have. And you stop and think about it. He does exactly what the word is expressing. He gives. 
Now, another part of our definition of understanding grace, not only that it's got a source and that it has to be given, but also, frequently in Scripture and here in Ephesians, it is measured. What do you mean by measured? Well, we measure a lot of things. A lot of you have been out with your ring gauges this last week. <laughs> you tried to see, how much did I get? And, you know, that competition, if you got an inch and a half more than the guy next door, you feel pretty good about that, don't you? It's like putting a funnel on the top. You will always win. Just put a bigger end on it. You'll get more rain than anybody else. But uh, we, we measure so much with, with gauges and, and gadgets and all kinds of things like that. Can grace be measured? Actually, there's some interesting words in Ephesians. That, matter of fact, we're only going to use the verses that end with a seven. Just to show you. Just how it works. Chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. How rich is God? How do we measure that one? Well, if you can measure that one, you can measure grace. Alright? Because that's what it's in proportion to. According to the riches of His grace. If you can measure God's wealth, you can measure His grace. Because they go together. The riches of His grace. Chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace. Surpassing riches of His grace. This is a great word. Hupobalo. One of my favorite Greek words here. It means to super throw. For a while I was on the church softball team, and, well, I can't catch very well, so they thought first base would be the place for me. Uh, At least I could stay stationary and they could throw the ball at me. We had a teenager who played shortstop for us. He had an incredible arm. He can throw at great speed with a lot of energy. He would do that. But he had one little problem. He wound up and started running towards you as he's about to throw. He'd be at the pitcher's mound when he'd let go of that ball. And I knew how fast it was coming. And I had one simple play every time he picked it up. I ducked because I knew I was going to get killed by that thing. He'd throw it at such speed and, and... you know, we, we think of that, we, we think of a shortstop picking up the ball, looking at first base, and promptly landing the ball 20 rows up into the audience. You say, what do you call that? It's an error. That's simple. It's an error. Unless it's speaking of God's grace. This is overthrown, is the word here. Surpassing, overthrown. With such intensity, with such aggressiveness, with such supply which such a bounty, it is overthrown to us every single time. We're going to find a word later in the text, which he lavished on us. I just love the sound of the word. Lavished on us. But this is what he's done with us as far as his grace is concerned. We ask, Lord, give us enough grace for this day. Give us enough grace to get through this moment. You know, sometimes we have hard moments. Trying moments, difficult times. We say, Lord, just give us enough to get through this. And God knows exactly how much we need, doesn't He? But you know how much He always measures out? 
more. More. That's surpassing. You see the picture? It's always more. It's always more. What a beautiful picture of grace. It's always more than what we need. You say, Lord, I need a hundred dollars to meet this bill, and He'll give you a thousand. Say, wow. That's the nature of grace. He always more. It's, it's as it says, the surpassing riches of His grace. Do you like it so far? It's amazing. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me according to the working of His power. There's another measuring tool. What is God able to do? Wow. (laughs) That's quite a question, isn't it? Dunamis, that's our word ability here for power, and it has to do with ability. What is God able to do? You look at the world around us, creation, aren't you impressed with what God is able to do? Do you know that power is in you? Kind of frightful, isn't it? Kind of frightful to think that's true. According to the working of His power. In other words, God's grace is given to you. His ability works through you. And it's measured not by you, it's measured by Him. So often we say, well, I don't know if I could do that job. (laughs) Let's rephrase the question from now on. What can God do? If He's called you to the job, is He going to give you the grace to do it? What's that measured according to, you or Him? Now you're starting to feel funny about this. How often we have stepped back from jobs because we say, I can't do that, can't do that, I can't do that. You're right. You can't. But who's in you? And by what grace are you operating? God's grace that works in us. That's the way Paul could minister. You see, we're never at a place in the work he's called us to do where we don't have the grace to do it. Never. Always more than what we need. Chapter 4, verse 7. One more 7 for you. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he actually uses a, a metron here. That's a Greek word for a measuring tool. They measure dry liquids or, or dry liquids? No. It's like a can of oxygen, right? What do you, how do you measure that? Um, you, you talk about uh, dry measure or liquid measure. That's better. That's a term the metron was used, the Greek would use that for that measuring tool. He says the measure is the work of Christ. Think back again on what he's done for you. The measure is the work of Christ. That, that, that's a topic we could spend the rest of the day on. Christ's gift. Each of us, grace was given. Notice, each of us, each of us. One person in here doesn't have more than the other. Right? Each of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So now you've got its source, and now you've got the fact it has to be given, and now you know it can be measured, but not in terms we comprehend. But God does. 
Let's talk about the results. This final thought I'd like to bring before you today. The results of grace. Same verses. Let's look at them one more time. Ephesians 1 verse 2. Notice how he began right away. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always related to peace. Peace is when things are joined together and working properly. God's grace is a big part of that, isn't it? Matter of fact, it's indispensable to the whole concept of peace. To have a right relationship with God demands His grace to be bestowed. And that's what He's done. So, we see it results in peace. We have been graced, and it gives us peace. We see as well in chapter 1, verse 6, where we are. To the praise of the glory of His grace. It gives Him praise. Right? It gives Him praise. The praise for freely bestowing His gift on us. It gives us redemption. Look at verse 7, chapter 1. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's beautiful. According to the riches of His grace. So the fact that we're redeemed and that we're forgiven is because of God's grace. You like that? It's amazing, isn't it? Chapter 2, verse 5. It gives us salvation. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He has to say it twice just so you get it. For by grace you have been saved. We have been made alive together with Christ because of God's grace. That's a beautiful result. But that's what he's done. Now, it's kind of interesting what Paul's trying to say here. Uh, This phrase, by grace you have been saved, that has perplexed the the Greek scholars over the years because it's a very complicated uh, combination of words. And I'm going to spare you all the details because it's quite involved. Uh, Pages are written on how that little phrase, you have been saved, is constructed. But it's Paul's attempt to express the inexpressible. As simple as it sounds in English, the word actually has so many tenses wrapped up in it that it speaks of things done perfectly at the very beginning and completed perfectly at the very end and somehow sandwiched together. I don't even know if I could explain it very well. This is what Kenneth Weiss said. He's a Greek uh, scholar. By grace you have been saved in past time completely, with the result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through the present time. The unending state of the believer in salvation could not have been put in stronger or clearer language. And I think that's funny, clearer language, and we're still trying to figure out, what's that? But when it comes down to English, we like it. For by grace you have been saved. What a simple way to say it. Such a complicated thing said in such a simple way. Now, this grace that we have received brought us salvation. We're thankful for that. It also, in chapter 2, verse 7, it it gives a forever display to God. A forever display, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us. Forever. We are are trophies of God's grace forever. He will point to us as, that's what my grace can do. I like the fact that it lasts forever. 
It never fades. It won't wear out. It's not replaceable by something else. For the ages to come, it's going to show. We know it gives us salvation again in verse number 8 of chapter 2. It says it one more time. For by grace of you saved through faith. It gives us a stewardship. We have in Ephesians 3 verse 2. Some of these words we've seen many times, but we're keepers of a treasure, folks. Do you know it? A treasure has been entrusted to us. And he says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. A good reminder. We are not to be hoarders of God's grace either. He didn't hoard it, and he's dispensed it to us so that we may dispense it as well. See, we have all we need to serve him, don't we? Now, I have pages left and a clock that won't let me. But this is what I do want to wrap up with, a couple of thoughts. This is simple. Charles Ravi wrote these words in his book uh, of God's grace. He says, Christianity is distinct from all other religions because it is the message of grace. Jesus Christ is the supreme revelation of God's grace. Salvation is by God's grace. And grace governs and empowers Christian living. Without grace, Christianity is nothing. Nothing. It's a gift. Some people find that a very hard concept. Because they they think they have to work for everything they get. We've been brought up that way. We've been taught that way. And it kind of goes against our our self-achievements. It goes against our our idea to just be a, a recipient of something so magnificent, so freely given. There's all kinds of reasons, perhaps, why we do that. But I like the fact that it's freely bestowed. It takes me out of the picture and it sets before you a God who is so great that he should choose us, that he should save us, that he should bestow upon us his grace. Amazing grace. Is it a sweet sound to you today? It is. Now, like I said, I just scratched the surface. That's the beauty of grace. (laughs) We can work on it and work on it and work on it. And next week we're going to go into forgiveness and redemption. And that's all related to it as well. But what we have is an amazing God who loves you very much. And as I started here in our prayers, if there's somebody here who's never received Christ as Savior, God's grace has brought it about. Will you turn to him today? Turn to him today. He's invited us to come, right? He's given to us everything we need that we might be accepted in the Beloved. It's because of God's grace. And He wants every single person in this room. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And as we go into prayer today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, talk to Him right now. Talk to Him right now about that. That's what He has loved you for, to bring you into His family. You can receive Christ today. And if you are a believer, which I, I sense a whole lot of you are, When's the last time you said, thank you, Lord? The only thing he's ever asked, he never said, now open your wallet, I'm going to give you grace. Open your mouth and say, thank you. Open your heart and say, thank you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today amazed by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for it. 
we are, are so limited in our ability to comprehend and sometimes so stubborn in our reception of the great things you have done. Often we find ourselves fighting against it, running away from it, and yet you have freely bestowed it, and you are so great toward us. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of grace. We are recipients of something that uh, far exceeds anything we will ever encounter on this earth. Any need might, we might have, any task we're called to, any situation we face, your grace is more than sufficient. It's overwhelming. And I thank you, Lord, that we have it now. We're not waiting for it. It's been given. And we give you the praise because you're its source. Thank you, Father. It's been a while, perhaps, since we've said we love you, but we do. Thank you for the grace that you have given to us. And if there's somebody here today, Lord, that you should draw to yourself, do it, we pray. Show them the beauty of your grace and save them according to its power. In Jesus' name, amen.